Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program, Dr. Helene Gale has long worked in global health policy and administration. Now, she's Spelman College's 11th president, so she'll join me in just a few moments as we talk about key priorities for the historically black women's college. Plus, Keeper Bennett gets a block! Georgia draws first blood! And they would draw some more blood. They left no doubt after that. The Georgia Bulldogs capture a consecutive national college football championship. We'll talk about all that in, later in the show as well. Those conversations coming up. But first this. Now, state lawmakers are taking the day off because of what happened last night. And normally this would have been just the second day of the legislative session. But don't worry. WAB politics reporter Raul Bali looks ahead to the rest of the week. Early tomorrow morning is the Georgia Chamber's Eggs and Issues Breakfast, which state leaders have used in the past to roll out new initiatives and proposals. State lawmakers then return to session late tomorrow morning. Then Thursday is the inauguration of Governor Brian Kemp and other state constitutional officers. Meantime, lawmakers have approved a calendar for all 40 days of the session, something that's not happened at the beginning of the session in recent memory. It could be a sign of better relations between the House and Senate, along with more respect for the personal and professional lives of lawmakers. Raul Bally, WABE News, the state capitol. In other news, Atlanta Public Schools is adding another layer of protection to safety and security in order to enter the buildings. Now, it's a new weapon detection system already in place at all middle and high schools. They're the same units used at large-scale arenas like Mercedes-Benz Stadium. It's called the Evolve system, and it allows schools to screen large group of students so there's not a traffic jam in front of the buildings in the morning. APS and other metro districts have made enhancing school security more of a priority in 2023, and they're also pressing state leaders to put forth more funding to help keep weapons out of classrooms. And a note of disclosure, WAB's broadcast license is held by the Atlanta Board of Education. Now, as mentioned earlier, when state lawmakers really get into the swing of activity this legislative session, they'll face a host of big health and health care related issues. Jess Mador has more on what they might tackle this time around. Last year's Bipartisan Mental Health Parity Act outlined a roadmap for improving Georgia's mental health care system over the next few years. One key provision already in effect prohibits insurance companies from denying coverage for mental health care. Jeff Breedlove with the Georgia Council for Recovery. So when a family's in crisis with mental health or addiction, families are finally going to be able to get the coverage they're entitled to under the law in Georgia. 
Now, Breedlove says more needs to be done across the state. His group is banking on incoming Republican House Speaker John Burns to help build consensus around boosting mental health services. The numbers are going up on overdose deaths and the funding for existing programs needs to keep pace with the medical reality. That medical reality is an epidemic of overdoses, mostly linked to opioids. Breedlove's group wants more money for peer-led treatment and recovery programs and to grow the state's workforce of mental health providers. Fully expanding Medicaid would help with that funding for mental health. It would also strengthen the state's struggling hospital system, but advocates have so far not been successful in convincing Governor Brian Kemp or powerful Republicans to do it. And Georgians for a Healthy Future director Laura Colbert says it's a long shot this session. The governor does not have any meaningful motivation to move forward with Medicaid expansion because he won so decisively in November and because he got the green light on his Pathways waiver. Pathways is Governor Brian Kemp's limited expansion plan, initially greenlit by the Trump administration. It would cover around 50,000 adults as long as they work or volunteer for 80 hours a month. Critics say full Medicaid expansion would cover roughly half a million currently uninsured Georgians and save the state more money per person covered. For now, Kemp's limited expansion work requirement plan could take effect this summer. Jess Mador, WABE News. And finally, (laughs) that is still Dre from producer and artist Dr. Dre. It also features the D-O-double-G Snoop Dogg. Now, the song was on Dr. Dre's album called 2001. Here we go. Georgia Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene used the song in a promotional video that was uploaded to social media. Okay, here we go. Dr. Dre was not happy and therefore, through attorneys, sent Representative Green a cease and desist letter informing Green to stop using Dre's music to promote her, quote, divisive and hateful political agenda, close quote, and that using a song without permission is copyright infringement. The the letter states that Dr. Dre, whose name is Andre Young, will never grant Green permission to broadcast his music. However, we can. This is Closer Look. Still got love for the streets, repping 213. Still the beat bang, still doing my thing. Since I left, ain't too much change. Still, I'm representing for the gangsters all across the world. Still, hitting them counters and them lolos, girl. Still, taking my time to perfect the beat. And I still got love for the streets. It's the DRE. I'm representing for the gangsters all across the world. Still, hitting them counters and them lolos, girl. Still, taking my time to perfect the beat. And I still got love for the streets. It's the DRE. Since the last time you heard from me, I lost some friends. Well, hell, me and Snoop, we dipping again. I kept my ears to the streets. And Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. I gotta tell you, I have a lot of awards, but I have never had this award. Now, back in 2015, Dr. Helene Gale was honored with a social humanitarian award from the global women's empowerment and movement brand, Black Girls Rock. My mother, herself a black girl who rocked, told me, you have a good brain and a big mouth, so use them. (laughs) 
And so I have tried to do just that, use my talents and my voice to work towards greater social justice here and around the globe. And I believe that one of the surest ways to do that is by lifting the voices of girls and women, because when girls and women gain voice, they become empowered. And when that happens, everyone wins, families, communities, nations, and ultimately our world. I thank you and thank you. For Dr. Gail's global work has been at the intersection of health and humanitarian issues, issues, as well as global and domestic economic development. And she served as the president and CEO of the International Humanitarian Organization CARE, headquartered here in Atlanta. Now, you may not know this, but Dr. Gail began her career at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, where she spent nearly 20 years focusing on HIV AIDS prevention and global health. Well, now, Dr. Gale has a new chapter of her professional journey, president of Spelman College here in Atlanta. And of course, you know what that means. Madam President, welcome. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you. It's an honor to be with you. Where do you have your Black Girls Rock Award? Where, where is that? Uh, it's sitting <laughs> on um, a, a um, desk. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, oh, it was uh, quite an inspiration, quite an honor. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the last time we spoke, you were beginning another new chapter. You were headed to the McKinsey Social Initiative. Right. Along the way, for all the organizations that you've been involved in, and, and you have done a lot, do you gain new leadership skill sets along the way, things that you pick up from every stop that still continue to help you in that next chapter? Yeah, definitely. You know, um, every job I take... I realize I would not have been as prepared as I am had I not done the job right before. So, you know, I think I take something from each of the jobs and I continue to grow uh, with each of them. You mentioned your mother, mother in that speech, and we've never really talked about your mom. Tell me about her. Well, my mother was an incredible woman. She was a social worker. Um, she graduated from Fisk and went on to get a master's degree at Columbia University. So she's one of the first black women to get a master's degree at uh, an Ivy League school like Columbia. Uh, went on to uh, marry, have five children, and I think really instilled in all of us um, a, a real sense of commitment to giving mm -hmm. back to society. Is that where you get a lot of what you've done, your, your passion that you've done all your life? Does it come from, from your mother, you think? Well, clearly my mother was one of the big influences. Yeah. Um, I think the society and the times that I grew up were another influence. But my parents, both of them, my father and my mother, um, really did believe that we were put on this earth to make it a little bit better than when we got on. So um, giving back was a huge part of what they instilled in all of us. When you're walking around the campus of Spelman and you're you're watching and you're interacting with the students, does your mind go back to your first year in, in college and what do you think about? Oh, it does. <laughs> and I just keep saying, did I ever look that young? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's 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 kind of fun. You know, I, uh, my first few months, I kept saying, I feel like I'm on the set of a different world. You know, <laughs> uh, yeah, because it really is. Um, quite an honor and privilege to be surrounded with these young black women, all of whom have this passion and desire to really make a difference. And, uh, you know, we say going to Spelman is making a choice, choice to, to change, change the yeah, world. I know so, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so it's, it's, it's great. Um, what questions have they asked you? The students? Yeah. 
Well, you know, I think the question number one, not only students, but everybody, um, why did you choose to come to Spelman? Um, why now? You've done so many other things. Uh, so I think that's one of the things they're most curious about. And, you know, for me, I feel like it's part of uh, a journey that I've been on. And, you know, this is my opportunity to give back to the next generation uh, and, you know, take the things that I have learned along the way and hopefully put it to the service of uh, helping the next generation of change makers. Was there any long period of time you took to say, you know what, maybe I do want to consider this, maybe I want to, I don't know, maybe I want to stay in global health and that whole arena? Yeah, you know, back to your your question about each job preparing you for the next, you know, um, I don't think I would have been prepared or even understood why coming to Spelman made sense for me two or three jobs ago. Um, you know, I really did feel that this came at the right time for me, uh, at a time where giving back to the next generation um, is really a real passion for me. I think it also came at a time when I had been focused on domestic issues mm -hmm. more than global, but really feeling that my global and the local really are important as we think about how we prepare the next generation of young people who are growing up in a global world but still want to be able to be relevant to their own communities. And so many students have an opportunity through programs at Spelman to go abroad. And you, you, if there's anyone that has global connections, it's Dr. Helene Gale. Will you use some of that influence and, and the pathways that you, you have to help some of these students go, go abroad and, and seek some, see what's happening outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Yes, definitely. I just think it is such an important aspect of one's education, whether they get it in college or later, to be able to have that experience of seeing themselves differently because they're in a different culture. Um, understanding issues from other people's perspective. And I, you know, I wish more people did travel out of out of the country because I think if they did, they would come back and not be so stuck in some of the very um, unproductive ways in which I think you know we are getting stuck in. So we, I really hope that uh, every student who wants a global experience at Spelman will have the opportunity to do that. Did you speak to get advice from other college presidents and particularly those that who are leading? women's colleges or HBCUs, did you seek those folks out? And what Most did they tell definitely. You? Yeah. Most definitely. You know, and one of the things, having been in and out of Atlanta since 1984, um, I've had the opportunity to know the five, five past uh, Spelman presidents. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, um, the institution changes all the time, but still it's been very helpful to get their own perspective on Spelman. Uh, I've had the opportunity to talk to other uh, leaders of, of women's colleges. Um, I, I went, I'm a product of mm -hmm. a women's liberal arts college, Barnard, so I had a chance to talk to the current um, Barnard president, Wellesley president, Smith, others mm -hmm. uh, who have gone and, and um, you know, been on a similar journey, and it's been incredibly useful. But not just the women's liberal arts colleges. I, you know, I'm really a big believer that we don't do these things by ourselves and it really is by talking to others who have walked uh, maybe a little bit further than you have on that journey um, that can be very helpful as I'm thinking about how I want to be the president of Spelman. And also uh, 
Madam President, coming in at a time where we're not where we were two or three years ago in terms of the pandemic and every institution of higher learning and every every academic setting for there was pre-K or what have you had to shift and change. And in talking to not only your, pres- your pre- uh, predecessor, but also other presidents saying, you know, this was extraordinary. We had to shift and focus and make sure we were there for our, our faculty, our staff, our students. Now, three years, you know, into the pandemic, how do you feel like Spelman is in terms of dealing with anything that might be left over dealing with the pandemic and COVID-19, of course, is still here. But how, how would you assess how you all have been able to now even continue in 2023? Well, I think um, not just Spelman or even just universities, but I think as a world community, we're all learning how to take some of the lessons of COVID and take what um, we learned new and realize that we can't go back to pre-COVID. We're a changed society. We're learning how to do work differently. We're learning how to um, use technology differently. We're learning to be more flexible about how people learn. Mm -hmm. So I think all of those things will figure into how we think about the Spelman of the future and how we want to make sure that we've learned some of the lessons of COVID, bad ones, but also some of the ones that teach us how we can do things differently and keep moving. Is that part of also one of your priorities? I know everyone has a strategic plan, either that they're coming into that they still have to execute or implement, or you may want to start over. What has been your philosophy in terms of moving Spelman forward? Do you have your own set of priorities? What are the top two, maybe? Well, so um, I'm fortunate in that uh, I'm coming into a strategic plan that uh, we will extend for one more year uh, and you know building on a lot of the great work that Mary Schmidt Campbell mm-hmm. did um, particularly you know I think most notably is the new the new center for innovation in the arts a building that will be there mm-hmm. that will be the first time there'll be a building that opens up to the community around Spelman and that really focuses on the arts but with a idea of how innovation and technology are all part of that, so that it's not a STEM or arts, but really how do you bring mm-hmm. those two together? Um, you know, there's been a lot of great work um, already being done, as you mentioned, around global. It's an area that I want to see us do more. I would like to see us do more around the West End neighborhood that we reside in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we know that the West End is still a neighborhood with a lot of needs and a lot of need for economic development that will be good for the neighborhood, but will also be good for our students. So I think there's there's more that can be done in that area. We're launching a new center for black entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a joint center with Morehouse College. Uh, black women are the fastest growing segment of the entrepreneurial Um, ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So we want to be able to really build that out. And not that everybody needs to start their own business, but no matter what field you go into, this sense of entrepreneurship is such a critical area Um, and a critical mindset. Innovation, you know, we're doing a lot more in innovation, particularly in the science areas Mm -hmm. and how to think about young people creating their own uh, entities, their own machines, their own 
Um, they're doing all of this really neat. Well, your spell bots are just, they're just phenomenal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love I mean, them. <laughs> it, it, they, I go in and see what they're doing, um, where they're creating, doing gaming and all sorts of things. So, you know, I think this entrepreneurship mindset, the innovation mindset, still while thinking about what does it mean to be a critical thinker uh, for a liberal arts school, we want to make sure that we're we are developing young people who learn to learn and will be lifelong learners. And that, I think, is the most important part of what a liberal arts um, education actually does. And in order for that to happen, and you and I both know that... Money. The, yeah, how'd you know? You, you've you been looking at my script, Madam President. <laughs> you knew where that, I was going. That's the script for every uh, yeah. college president. You know, yeah. and, and so for me, that's a big one because yeah. we can't do any of these things. We can't continue to keep our excellent faculty, recruit the high-quality students that we do, um, keep our infrastructure strong, all of those things we need resources. And as you well know, uh, even the top HBCUs, when it comes to endowments, Mm -hmm. uh, none of us have yet cracked the billion dollars. And you look at somebody like a Princeton or Harvard or a Yale, where they have endowments of 40 billion or more. Um, We've got to do more if we want to be able to optimize this experience for our young people. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation. If you're just joining us, I'm in conversation with Spelman College President Dr. Helene Gale. When we come back, we'll continue to talk about what those initiatives look like in terms of making sure students who enter as freshmen can graduate and finally do that little thing that y'all do, that little (laughs) gesture that you do. There's a little Spelman gesture that y'all have. We're back in a moment. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott in conversation with Spelman College President Dr. Helene Gale. You know, we were talking about retention, not just for faculty and staff, but also making sure students, you know, that they can finish at Spelman. And you and I know the stories of kids, students who've had to maybe they, they say, I'll just take a semester or two off. And then they never come back or they have to go to a different institution simply because of finances. Yeah, and that's one of the most heartbreaking things. You know, I get notes and letters from both students as well as their parents who are there, they want to be there. It was always their first choice. And then after uh, a period, the finances just don't work out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're grateful that, uh, you know, through government programs like SPELL, uh, like, like the Pell Grants, as well as really generous donors who have put who have contributed resources for scholarships you know that we're able to really um 
punch well above our weight, if you mm-hmm. will, just based on what we have in terms of our own uh, endowment. But we need to do more. Um, and we want to make sure not only do young women have the finances, but are we giving them the right sort of uh, support to navigate the system successfully so that mm-hmm. you know the education that they get is one that will be useful for them as they continue on their career journey, their career path. So, you know, career success and and, and uh, academic success is a big issue for us and really continuing to find ways uh, through new programs. One that I think is wonderful is called Braven, mm-hmm. and it's one just uh, come here to, to Atlanta that really helps students develop leadership skills, develop uh, academic uh, support, making sure that you know they, if they enter in, they get everything that they need to be successful as students and to navigate uh, into their careers or for some going on to further to further their education. And you know, it's no secret we know the plight of HBCUs is, can be quite a different path from you know predominantly white institutions. And when you look at that, you know, statistics are showing us that, you know, we've seen a decrease in enrollment at PWIs, but seen an increase in students students applying for HBCUs and and graduating from HBCUs. What does it say to you in terms of not just the, I don't don't want to use the word popularity, but we're seeing maybe a little bit of a shift for students to look at HBCUs? Definitely. Um, And we've seen a quadrupling of our applications over the last uh, decade or so. And I think, you know, when we talk to young people, they say that, and this is often young people who've been accepted at some of the top schools, that they really want to be in a place where all they have to do is learn, where they are not having to think all the time about um, professors' low expectations Mm -hmm. of them or someone not understanding who they are culturally, um, getting questions that uh, sometimes may make them question themselves. Mm -hmm. So they want to be in a place that understands who they are, believes in them, believes they can achieve anything they want to, and that you have professors who are there to support you and to nurture you. And I think that experience of, as, as they say, only having to worry about being a student and mm-hmm. not having to worry about all the microaggressions, all, you know, all the other issues that one has to worry about to navigate in this world uh, still, uh, um, that's what I think young, why young people are feeling um, that this is a place where they want to go, where it's safe, where it's nurturing, where it understands them where it supports them, where it believes in them. I've had conversations with college presidents and talking about with if the affirmative action and everything with the Supreme Court, and, and I believe it was a, a president, I, I, want to, I don't want to get it wrong, so I better not say it, but um, she talked about, she said, look, we think that that will help maybe attract more students True. to HBCUs. True, true. Yeah. I, I think it will. And so, you know, I think w- we need to make sure we're prepared, that we have uh, the kind of quality that students are looking for so that they get the very best educational experience while they're also getting an experience that's cultural and, and nourishing and reinforces who they are in the world. Because then they go out and they have such a strong sense of themselves, and that's why we see so many leaders coming out of HBCUs today, mm-hmm. 
because they did get that grounding uh, along with the academic excellence. Speaking of leaders, I want to go back to you for a second in terms of leadership style. We've had conversations before. So a moment ago, you talked about how you lessons learned from previous journeys along, you know, stops along the way in your journey. How is your leadership style now as opposed to, let's say, some years ago when you were at CARE? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? Um, I guess one thing you learn along the way is how not to take yourself too seriously, how not to um, take others too seriously either, and let a lot of things roll off your back. I think I have the um, both the experience and maybe it's the confidence as well to realize that I don't have to be perfect. Um, I put my all into the work that I do, but there are a lot of things that I've learned to let roll off my back and I think that makes uh, for a much less stressful <laughs> uh, leadership journey. You know, I think I've also accumulated specific skills along the way. Uh, I probably am a better people manager than I was uh, before. I've, you know, made the mistakes. I've learned from them. Like what? Um, oh, I don't know. I, you know, um, how you bring people together. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you how do you really bring a, a, a team together? How do you get the best out of the people that you're working for? Uh, how do you develop a strategy? We talked about strategy earlier. You know, I didn't come in with, here's a th- strategy that I'm going to shove down anyone's throat. Mm-hmm. I really believe that you create a vision and create a strategy by working with people so that they actually feel a part of it. And so I think there's a lot of how you work with groups and people to get the best out of them that I've learned um, increasingly along the way and how to do that in a way that really brings out the best so that people feel when you have created, uh, you know, again, I'll go back to strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, there are things that I, that I believe that I'm passionate about, but I also think there are things that I will learn by talking to others, by listening to others. So I think I'm a better listener than I might have been in the past. So does the culture and environment start with you in terms of your staff, your executive staff, and and, and the messaging, and you said bringing folks together. You've learned how to do, you have a better skill set. So. Yeah, well, I hope that, you know, that, I, that um, you know, I can help to lead the culture. But again, I believe that you create culture together. I want to set a tone. Um, I set a tone of collaboration. I set, again, a tone where I think that, you know, we all want to feel comfortable bringing our best selves, our best ideas, um, our experience to the table. And when you can bring all that together, um, that's the tone you want to set. And that's how, you know, so for me, the tone is not a, here's the way it's going to get done, mm-hmm. but how do we really bring people together with their experience, their p- passion, their commitment, so that we get a better product than any one person would by themselves? You know, when I was first in, in some of my leadership roles, you know, I think I had the idea that I had to have the answer, mm-hmm. that, you know, if you're smart, you got the answer. Yeah. And you always want to be the smartest kid kid in the room. I now feel like, you know, I want to make sure that I'm surrounded by the smartest people you. in the room and I know how to <laughs> get the best out of each of them. It's from my favorite movie. I've said it a thousand times from Remember the Titans, Attitude, Reflect, Leadership, you know. Um, how do you deal with criticism then? 
Well, I think it's back in that category of learning not to take yourself too seriously or and learning how to let things kind of roll off your back. On the other hand, you know, criticism can can be a form of feedback that teaches you something about yourself that you didn't realize it. Mm-hmm. So I don't shrink from criticism. Um, I hope I learn from criticism and can incorporate lessons um, that make me a better leader in the process. So, Madam President, is the ultimate, I guess, metric for success at Spelman College, is it the graduation rate? How? Do, what are you looking at to measure then everything you just talked about and how you're bringing people together and the culture and everything and, and the initiatives? What are you using to measure, hey, we're on we're we're on the right path here. It's working. Well, first and foremost is stu- student success. You know, that's what we exist for. We exist to make sure that we are providing an environment that is academically challenging um, and that it provides students an opportunity to get a high quality education with the kind of mindset that I talked about before that they are entrepreneurial, innovative able to crit- to think critically and analyze um, all of those things that you know are important so that they can continue to be lifelong learners. That's the biggest success factor is how, th- how our students do. But to do that, we also have to have a talented faculty. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to have a ta- talented faculty that stays and is committed to the student journey. Uh, we have to have good facilities so that the environment is good for learning. Mm-hmm. And we have to have an administration that does all those other things that are kind of the undergirding uh, for the academic um, exercise, uh, enterprise. So, you know, all of those, you know, each of them have success factors within them. But at the end of the day, it's how well do our students do and, um, you know, did we give them did we hold up our promise to give them an excellent opportunity that prepares them for lifelong learning? And then how do you assess your leadership role in this first year when it's out of the way, so to speak? Uh, well, I guess, you know, getting started on that journey. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I expect that I've just started this job. Um, we're just going into the second semester I'm learning a lot, and so for me, this is really a, a year of learning. I want to listen. I want to learn. I want to see how my skills and the things that I'm passionate about really do help to propel Spelman forward. And you know, I'll be. I will feel like my first year is successful if I was able to um, really look back and realize how much I had learned, how much I had listened, um, how much as a result of listening. Are we closer to thinking about, you know, where over the next few years are we going to drive this school and and um, continue on this path of excellence? You know, we've been the number one HBCU mm-hmm. for 16 years in a row. That's fabulous, and and that kind of assures us that we will always be, you know, number one, number two. We'll be up there, but can we look at other ways in which we want to um, benchmark ourselves? Mm-hmm. Um, against other women's liberal arts colleges, mm-hmm. against liberal arts colleges, national liberal arts colleges in general, in terms of our innovation, in terms of our ability to continue to be the top producer of women who go on to get PhDs in, in STEM. STEM. Mm-hmm. So I think all of those are, are measures. Service learning, we are now top in, in the area of service learning. So all of those are areas that I think we should start thinking about what does it take 
to not only be the number one HBCU, which is fantastic, but how else are we thinking about our excellence and really looking at how we benchmark ourselves? So some of those are the kinds of things we want to keep pushing ourselves towards. And then finally, as we wrap up, you know, we are just days away from observing another Martin Luther King Jr. national holiday. Um, When you think about Dr. King's vision and all the social justice issues and the role of HBCUs in that, are you enlightened? Do you have some concerns? Both? Well, you know, um, I think Martin Luther King Day is always a great opportunity for us to reflect on how far we've come, but also how far we still have to go. And we still do have a ways to go as a people. I think HBCUs contribute a lot to that. And as we talked about before, I think the fact that the popularity of HBCUs is rising says that we have a product that is still important, um, perhaps as important as it was 140 Mm -hmm. some years ago when Spelman was first established. So I want to make sure that we keep Um, our eyes on the prize, if you will, and remember our commitment um, to making a difference and um, helping these young women make the choice to change change the the world. world. I got to tell you, you're the only guest that I've interviewed on two different continents. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We were over in Amman, Jordan. Yes. Back in 2013. You talk about life changing as a journalist as well, being able to you know, cover what you all were doing with uh, the Syrian refugees. Yeah. Well, we were so pleased you were able to join us. That was great. Now, that 16-hour flight was a little (laughs) bit rough, (laughs) Madam President, but it wasn't about that. I mean, it was more important what you you all were doing, so thank you. Spelman College President, Dr. Helene Gale, good to see you again. Thank you for coming in and answering the questions. Thank you. And Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. There is a student named Jacob Davis. He was in his first year at UGA, and he watched the game last night. I think Stetson played his best game ever. He didn't do that last game. He did this game, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Quarterback Stetson Bennett's his final game with Georgia. He threw four touchdowns, ran for two, came out of the game at the beginning of the fourth because really there was just nothing else to do to a standing ovation. As for next year, Jacob says, hey. Let's run it back. Three in a row. Let's do it. And Jacob was talking to WABE's Molly Samuel last night in Athens. Now, he's not along as far as the game. Look, I don't know what to say, but let me ask sports contributor Jordan Tucker what he has to say about them dogs. Uh, look, last yesterday when we said there'd be a lot of scoring, mm-hmm. we were right. We just didn't know it would all come from Georgia. Right. Uh, first of all, uh, this was – what do you make of this? I think yesterday we talked about dominance in Georgia. Yeah, you did. That's what we saw. That's all we saw for four quarters. 60 minutes, it was dominant. Like, it, it was scary to see see them out there yesterday. If, and look, when the game was 10-7, I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> they the, just opened the can. I the, shouldn't say that. It, but. It, it got to 10-7, and I was like, we might have a game. Yeah. We might have a game. They get a stop here. They get a... <laughs> 
<laughs> I was I was trying to fight. I was trying to figure out a way to give TCU the benefit of the doubt. But. What was it when you watched that game last night, uh, Jordan? Was it the TCU just maybe just looked like they couldn't match up with Georgia and their their play calling? I mean, Stetson looked like he was just in a video game, just playing in a schoolyard, just throwing, lofting, running. I what I saw last night was I think what I said yesterday: the physicality of the SEC. I think they brought it for all 60 minutes and you saw it whether it was on offense defense whether it was whether it was the the interior lines or the quarterbacks making decisions like just the physicality of Georgia's football compared to TCU's was put on display last night. Did TCU just look like they weren't prepared or was just Georgia really is that good folks and that's no matter who the opponent would have been it might have been. Now we were arguing earlier what some of my colleagues were saying even one said, well, if it was Clemson, and then some said, well, if it was this team, if it was Alabama, you don't know that. You what we know. know is that it was Georgia and TCU, and that's what we got last night. Right. I think I think you couldn't have said it any better. Like You can you can say as much as you want about putting Bama, you can put a Notre Dame, a Clemson, a USC in there, but we had TCU, and TCU earned their spot in the playoff. They deserve to be there. They earned their spot in the playoff. They just got put up against a juggernaut of a team. <laughs> they, they they made it known that we're not messing around with TCU yesterday. You said that in order for Georgia to be considered, and this was an argument too in the mailroom earlier, uh, is Georgia now the, forgive me folks, the new Alabama? Or do you still, I mean, look, they won back-to-back. I mean, what does it take? Three in a row? I, are they the... I don't think there's a new Alabama because I'm I'm not betting against Nick Saban. I don't care yeah. what year it is, what game it he's is. He's mad. He's pissed. Did you see him on that t- <laughs> the TV last night when they yeah. said um, when David Green said yeah, that he, Georgia was the yeah he mm-hmm. was he was not happy about that. No 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 no. He um, woke up a a sleeping giant. So Georgia, they are the team to beat already next year. Folks were saying yeah, and they lost so many players last year. People said oh they're gonna fall off no. and they go undefeated. You know what was the scariest thing of last night watching the game? The D-line. The D-line, I just heard, true freshman. True freshman on the play. True freshman. Yeah. True freshman. Which means, folks, they're going to be around for at least at least two more years. Right. And they just kept reloading them. And, boy, those men are big. Those yeah. guys were big. They were huge. They were just making a difference in the game. I give it, I give it up to the D-line coach and the scheme that they had on defense. Because, I mean, they looked like a deer in headlights. You know, we all – no Hollywood loves a good sports story there, uh, Jordan. And so I don't know when the Stetson Bennett biopic is coming, <laughs> um, but I do know from a walk-on player, a quarterback of all positions, it wasn't like he was a punter. No, don't send me any emails because punters are important, but let's be really clear. We're talking about a quarterback. Right. Um, a walk-on. Mm-hmm. Starting quarterback for the Georgia Bulldogs in two national championship games with a win. Mm-hmm. I don't does that ever happen again? Probably not. Probably not for a long time. Probably not not for a long time. Winning the national championship, coming from being a walk-on, I mean, that's unheard of. I think he gets a Netflix special at some point. (laughs) (laughs) The Stetson Bennett story. Yeah, they're going to give him four episodes or something. So in in looking at now that we know that they're going to expand the playoffs Mm -hmm. and we've had this conversation and I'm not a big fan of it because I want the kids to go to class. Uh, (laughs) But now folks are going to use this blowout, at least through their lens. They think this justifies, see, you got to have a playoff system. You know, you could have had six teams, whatever, 
you know, 12, 12 teams is a, a lot, y'all, right. really. But this is what people want. They want more teams in the playoff system. Mm-hmm. I think it's just going to bring – I think it's going to bring a lot more excitement to the game. I think – I don't know. I feel like the game right now, especially in college, is kind of like teetering back and forth between entertaining and, like, what are we watching? Well, and players being able to transfer. Right. I, and I don't know how you feel about the transfer portal, folks, if you don't know what we're talking about. I mean, players can just – some kids transferred to four different schools <laughs> within mm-hmm. their career because they're trying to find the right program. I get it, but then also you got endorsement deals. Mm-hmm. It's just and it's all wrapped around money. Right. It and, is. Let's and, be really clear. And these kids haven't been these kids haven't been paid like for a long time, as long as the game has existed, other than two three years ago when they started NIL deals, and you could like formally get that check. But does that? Also lead to, and we haven't seen it thus far, although some coaches say they don't like the NIL deals because kids can go where they know they'll get a better deal. Mm-hmm. Does that taint some of this at all, you think, college football? I mean, is that a, is it going to be problematic down the road? I think it depends on how the player handles it. I think that's all what it comes down to because you have a you have players that are the most humble and really just want the opportunity to maybe be closer to home and people are offering that money to come closer to home. Yeah. Or you've had you've got the arrogant player who wants to flash every check he's got, flash all everything he's getting from these colleges and that's what can destroy the game. But if if you're going about it for the right reasons, I think it's it's a positive for the mm-hmm. game, but there's always a consequence, good or bad. When you look at Georgia and and there, there's a lot of money. I mean, they're boosters. I know they're all happy. When you look at programs like Georgia that have stadiums and, and facilities that are just incredible, they've got lockers with USB and Bluetooth, <laughs> you know, uh, capabilities, and and their their the weight rooms are just amazing. Mm-hmm. And then you look at some uh, programs that don't have that. It it really is haves and have-nots. It is. It is. And for the have-nots, you can tell there's a difference in their program. You could tell how the kids are walking around the building. Like, they might not want to be there. I know when I was at North Carolina, we didn't have updated, updated uh, locker rooms and players' lounges. And as soon as Mac Brown got there, he tore everything down and said, we're rebuilding this. So you had a lounge? Oh, yeah. What was in your lounge? Whew, everything. We had stuff in <laughs> What the do you lo- need a lounge for? Go to your room and study. No, but, like, <laughs> you, you got to think. You've got, like, three classes throughout the day. About an hour Just and a three? half. <laughs> you only had three? I ran track and I had like five. Oof, I was taking 15 <laughs> hours, 12, 12 sometimes. So yeah. I, I wasn't in much class, but I was going when I could. But, but you went to class. I did go to class. but Because um, you know your mother's listening. I, I do know she's listening. Yes, mom, <laughs> I did go to class. But um, no, like in our players' lounge, we would have, they when I was there prior to Mac Brown, we'd have the couches, we'd have a couple TVs and a papa shot and some ping pong tables. But when Matt came, man, he put PlayStations in there, Xboxes. Recruits like that stuff? Recruits love it. Recruits love it. Especially, you got to think, if you're if you're going to a game and you're tired and you see your dad passed out on one of the couches, you're like, oh, he feels at home too. <laughs> he feels at home too. We've got we've got uh, massage chairs. We've got uh, some sleeping pods. Have you, seen, like, have you ever seen Notre Dame's facilities? No, but my very first... Or LSU's? No, it's my very first visit was to Oregon yeah. when I was a kid. Oh, because they, they got Nike up there. So. Blew, blew every blew every other school out of the water. Really? Didn't matter what any other school had, Oregon had it. They ain't won a national championship, so what's the problem? <laughs> Oregon? All right. You, uh, you've you gotten through your first sort of your rookie year being a 
Closer Look Sports contributor. How you feeling? I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I love talking game. I love being here. It's, it's exciting to talk about. I get passionate about it, so I'm I'm excited to continue it. All right, Jordan Tucker, WABE Well Closer Look Sports contributor. We appreciate you taking the time. Your predictions have been pretty good. Whew. Seven points last night? <laughs> Seven <laughs> points? They couldn't get 20? Oh, well, they tried. They tried. They and, tried. And congrats, congratulations to TCU For just getting it, there yeah. because they deserve it. Right. But they will forever be part of history. And not Whew, not in a good way. That is it for this edition of Closer Look. Tiffany Griffith is our supervising producer alongside LaShawn Hudson, Daniel Rizal, and Pat St. Clair. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. A reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. Send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And if you missed any of today's program, it's online, wabe.org slash Closer Look. And, of course, Closer Look weeknights at 7. And we have a podcast. We're all over the place. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.